Uh, we're in the book of Colossians, uh, and for the last several weeks, we've been looking at how as, um, we've been looking at we as believers that we've been made alive in Christ. We, we've been filled with, with Jesus, and something new has been created in us through faith uh, in the all-sufficient work of Jesus. And with that newness, uh, there is also adoption. There is uh, being made part of something new, something significant, brought into the family of God, placed into the body of Christ, which is the church. And each one of us then are indispensable members of that body, a community, a very precious one that we're called to in one body as a result of being God's chosen people. We looked at this last week as a result of being a, a holy people brought together in one body where there is no Greek or Jew, there is no slave or free, there is no young or old or rich or poor. All these labels, these, these petty uh, differences are no longer relevant in what God has made and what he has made us a part of. And we talked about how Jesus has, has moved us out of this old house into a, a new house. We talked about uh, this being like a metamorphosis that, that is, has changed us and into a new family with new rules. And in this new house that we've been given, we've been given new clothes as well for us to wear. There's new clothes that connects with who we are. So don't go back to the old clothes Right? Don't go back to those old, nasty, stinky clothes that rob you of your beauty, that rob the community that you belong to of its beauty and of its purpose. There is a new you and a new something that we belong to. And Paul says because of that, in light of all of that, there are things that we are to put to death. There are things that we are to take off and there's things that we are to put on. Last week we talked about putting on then compassion, kindness, humility, Meekness, patience, put on the belt of love or, or the coat of love that binds these things together. And this new life that now we are a part of, put these things on so that you can bear with one another. Put these things on and forgive one another. Put these things on so that you can act and talk and look and reflect more accurately the image of Jesus and who he's made you to be. And in a few verses that we're looking at this morning, Paul continues this discussion about this community life that he has put us in. He continues to talk about what it looks like for us to be together and what these new relationships that we have are supposed to look like. He gives us three principles. There's three things for us to prioritize in this new family that we belong to. We're in Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. Uh, let me pray for us. Father, we are so grateful to be here. Uh, we're grateful to be your people. Uh, you are our God, and you have provided us with everything that we need uh, for this life and for the next. Uh, you have provided us your spirit, and we are thankful for that spirit. We're glad that you're here. We're so grateful because you lead us and you direct us. You teach us, and we want you to be our teacher. We need you this morning to be our teacher, and so we pray that you soften our hearts. Put in our minds the things that you want to teach us. Renew our minds and and when we leave these doors, we pray, Father, that we would be people that would do what you teach us and not just listen. And this we pray in the name of Jesus, amen. Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 through 17, it says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. 
and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Three verses and three principles for us to look at. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly and do everything in the name of Jesus. First, let the peace of Christ is what the first thing that we're going to look at. Let it rule in your hearts. This word peace, this isn't an ordinary peace. It's, it's, uh, it's not just a, uh, a lack of hostility. It's more than just give peace a chance, right? This is, it says the peace of Christ, the kind that he gives, that only he can give, that the world can't provide. He says it himself in John 14, 27. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. He gives us his peace, which means that first of all, that we have peace with God that we're no longer enemies of God. We're no longer objects of God's wrath. Romans 5.1 says that we've been justified by faith, that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And in that vertical peace that we have with God, he also gives us the peace of God, an internal peace or a a tranquil state of our soul, an assurance that we have that we are saved, that we will be with him one day, and that he has done all the work, and that work that he did is perfect and it's complete. There's an assurance to that. No longer do we have anything to fear from God's wrath. No longer anything to fear of this earth either. I mean, what can man do to me? If God is for me, then truly, who can be against me? And there's nothing for us to be anxious about. There's nothing for us to be worried about. We don't need to be anxious for anything, but by prayer and supplication, we talk to him. We bring our concerns before him. And then verse 7 of Philippians chapter 4 finishes that idea And it says, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the vertical peace that God gives us in Christ. Peace with God and the peace of God. Okay, and this vertical peace that we have in Christ, it makes it possible and it is the source of a horizontal peace that we can have together in our relationships. So years ago, and it's going on like, like 20 years ago almost, my wife and I, we uh, worked in Afghanistan for a couple of years. And when I, when I first flew there, uh, I was by myself. Uh, Robin wasn't with me and uh, no one from the organization, this humanitarian aid organization that we were working with, nobody was there with me. I flew in by myself and it was uh, horrible. It was torture. It was like so many challenges and so many difficulties. Uh, the flight going to Europe, it was uh, delayed and moved uh, to a different place. Uh, and because of that, there was at least a one-day uh, delay uh, in my flight into Kabul, the capital. And even when I got there, then I didn't expect there to be so much difficulty. I don't know why I didn't expect that, but I, I got there, and I was the last person off the plane, so it took about an hour to unload the plane. Uh, it was about a three-hour-long line waiting for immigration uh, to get into the terminal. And as I stood there, I have all these bags with me, and as I stood there, uh, I was thinking, man, I feel like I'm in a land that is very dangerous, <laughs> like flying in, there was a bunch of uh, exploded and bombed out airplanes and helicopters that lined the entire airway. 
I felt like my life was in danger, and it was confusing. I was trying to navigate waters that I hadn't navigated before. It was, it was complicated. There was a, a language barrier, right? To, to say that it was difficult is an understatement. And as I'm standing there waiting in line, I keep thinking, well, I really hope that someone is there in the terminal to meet me, to bring me to where that I need to be, because there's no cell phone service in Afghanistan at that time. There, there's, I don't have a, a smartphone, so I, there's no computer that I have to be able to email. I'm dependent on uh, the, the, the head office to communicate any delays with, with the field office. And even then, I'm four hours beyond the time that my flight came in. Is anyone going to be there waiting for me? So I get through the line, and I get into the terminal, and it's just complete chaos. <laughs> There's taxi drivers all lined up, and they're trying to grab me and pull me in and say, and I can bring you somewhere. I'm like, no, and I'm, I'm trying to wrangle all the luggage, and I keep scanning the faces of everyone in the terminal, and, the, and people are just going like this. And I finally see there's a guy with red hair. Uh, and he, his eyes meet my eyes, and we lock on each other. Uh, and apparently his arms had gotten tired from holding up a sign uh, because he was holding it down here. And so he's looking at me, and then he raises the sign like this, and the sign says, Gary. Whew. And I f- everything about the challenges and the difficulty and the dangers, it all begins just to melt away. And it's just me and this other guy, his name is Scott. So I start walking to him. I just abandon my bags. I start walking to him, uh, and he, as I get closer, he says, are you Gary? And then I just hold him. Right? I just hug him. Like a, uh, and it, there's this instant connection that I had with my friend Scott, and he wasn't the only one. Then he brings me to a guest house where there's 15 other people, international people, and that house, what it did is it provided peace. That was the one place that we could go to to experience safety and peace. And because that peace was given to us in that house, it was made possible then for us to prioritize that peace with each other, to pursue that peace with one another. And this is just a house. These are just people. What we're talking about this morning is the peace that Christ offers, a vertical peace that we have uh, with God and, and, and with God and, and of God. So because of the vertical peace that we have in Christ, we know what that peace looks like. We know what that peace feels like. We know who the source of that peace is. And we also now, because of that, are freed up to prioritize that peace with one another. Paul says this in Romans 14, 19. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Paul says here in Colossians that we're called to this peace in one body. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, and as a result, it comes out horizontally. Let it rule, then, in our relationships. Let it characterize the community and, and what we belong to of what we are called to in one body. We become participants in his peace. Paul says, let it rule. Let it rule. This, is the, this, is, this word is used, the word rule, is the only time it's used in the New Testament, here in verse 15. It's a word that refers to someone like an, an umpire making calls in a sporting event, uh, determining what kind of like ball is thrown, for example, with baseball, or, or if someone is, is safe or they're out. Let the peace of Christ be the umpire. The referee in your heart admits the conflicts of life. Let it decide what is right. Let it be your counselor. 
Let the peace of Christ make the call when it comes to conflicts and disputes that you might have. See, conflict and disputes are inevitable when it comes when there's two people or more together. Conflict is going to happen. It can be a result of just basic, simple misunderstandings or, or, or just uh, different expectations that we have. It can be a result from more negative things like selfishness or pride. See, allowing the peace of Christ to make rulings in our lives, in our relationships, is not necessarily about eliminating conflict altogether, although this would be the ideal, perfect solution. But disputes and conflict are going to happen. We're different. We're different people. And none of us are perfect, all right? None of us are perfect. Even with the best of intentions, our execution of that is lacking in some way. You just take it... Even using communication as an example, the words we say are never perfect, or what we don't say, or or our listening ability is imperfect. No, things will happen in the church. Things will happen in our families, things that will offend, things that create disputes. And one of the ways that we allow peace to rule is in our response to those things, in those difficulties, in those challenges. We allow the peace of Christ to make a determination. So we, we put off things like defensiveness. We, we remove things like manipulation. We begin to take off things that have anything to do with I'm right and you're wrong. And the superiority a lot of times that we feel because we are right and they are wrong and we want to hold on to that. Or maybe it's anger or judgment or or condemnation, or or sarcasm. I don't know about you, but these responses have never worked out well for me, right? They're never a beneficial thing. Let his peace make the determination on how we will respond in challenges and in difficulties and in our relationships. And he says, and be thankful. Be thankful. And this is so significant. Thankfulness is actually, it's weaved uh, throughout the entire book of Colossians. 1.3 says we always thank God. 1.12 says giving thanks to the Father. 2.7 says rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, abounding in thanksgiving. And Paul says it again here in verse 15. He says be thankful. It almost kind of seems like a, a side note, right? Like this, this, like this distracted idea that came to Paul and he's like, oh, I remember uh, and be thankful. No, but there is such a strong connection that thankfulness has with the things that Paul has been talking about, things like peace and love and forgiveness. They feed into each other. We're thankful when we see the goodness of God. We're thankful because we're recipients of his undeserved goodness. We're thankful when, we've, when, when there's a vertical peace that we have with God and from God. We experience peace uh, relationally with each other, when we prioritize that peace and let it determine how we're going to respond, when there is a horizontal relational peace that we have together, man, there is some thankfulness going on with that. Paul says be thankful. He says be thankful people, or he says keep being or becoming thankful is what he's saying. And the verb in the, in the Greek indicates an ongoing responsibility, a command, a command, because being ungrateful is not an option for a believer. It's not an option for those of us who have 
received the undeserved gift of God, the peace of God, uh, the, the peace from God, the, the, the forgiveness that he offers, the eternal life that he gives because he sent his son to die for us. Ungrateful is not an option. And if we took a look and we took some time to examine the reasons in our own lives for the reason that we would have an attitude of ungratefulness, we would probably find that it has almost all to do with focus and what we pay attention to. So Nina is my daughter, and she's always making things uh, that represent the family. She's always making things uh, that represent like her and her brother, or her and her mom, or her and me. And this is her latest thing. Uh, and I have something going on with my glasses, and my beard is like pretty funky. Uh, years ago, though, she gave me her very first one of these, and it looks like this. Oh. And I love this picture. I love it. When I look at it, it just reminds me of her. It reminds me of the gift that she is. It reminds me of her heart and how sweet it is. It reminds me of her love for me and my love for her. I have it hanging up in my wall in my office. And every time I look at it, I'm so thankful. I'm so grateful to have her in my life, to have her as a daughter. She's a gift. But what if I looked at this picture and I just looked for all the things that I thought were wrong with it. All the things that I thought were messed up about it. My arms are not that skinny. My body isn't shaped like that, right? I'm, I'm floating there in midair above the grass. And look at the sky. It looks ridiculous. Like so much more time and attention could be given to the sky to make it more, look more realistic. Our lives can be this picture too, can't it? Disappointments fears, the things that we think that we didn't deserve, the, the, the things in life that we wanted and we didn't get. Church, if you're feeling ungrateful, if you find yourself complaining, there's nothing messed up with what God has given you. It's just that you're paying attention to wrong things, that your focus is off, just like this drawing our lives are not perfect, but we can know that in this life that he gives us, that he's, he's using things for our good. He, he's, he's creating things of eternal value in us. We may not be able to see it with our physical eyes, but when we walk by faith, we look beyond the picture and we see the giver. We see the maker. We see the painter, if you will, of the pictures of our lives that God gives to us. When we do, we see his goodness. We look to the giver and we see his love and his faithfulness and his kindness. We look to the giver and we see his heart of the giver. We see the gifts that he gives to us and our soul can't help it. Our soul rejoices and is thankful. Ah, this is such an important idea in these passages and we're, we're going to come back to the end and spend a little bit more time with it, but we're going to move on to the second principle, and it's this, the word of Christ. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. What is the word of Christ? Is it the actual words that Jesus spoke while he was on the earth? Uh, is it the gospel 
message? Is it the example that Christ set? Uh, Is it the teachings of Jesus? Is it the message about Jesus? Yes. (laughs) Yes to all of those things. You think Colossians, the book tells us that Christ is our life and that we've we've been filled with Christ, it makes sense then that the Spirit of Christ that has filled us up and and, and who is our life now, it would make sense that that Spirit is drawing us to everything that He is, that connects with everything of who He has made us to be and to be made a part of. As followers of Jesus, aren't we drawn to His teachings? Aren't we drawn to His examples? And who he is and what he did and what he continues to do. Aren't we drawn to what he looks like and what he would do if he was here? Aren't we drawn to to sit at his feet and listen to every single word? This is the spirit of Christ doing this work in us. But if all we ever hear, if all we ever talk about, if all we ever read are the words of this world, the philosophies and the opinions and the religion made by man, and then our soul begins to thirst. We can become just barely alive in here, just like this flicker of flame, just this barely going, and we know that that flicker of flame produces very little light. We know it provides very little warmth. It's because the words of this world are not life. His are. This is what Jesus says in John 6, 63. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Deuteronomy 8, 3 says, man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. The words of this world and the understanding of this world, they are not powerful. They are not eternal. His are. Jesus continues. He said, Matthew 24, 35. He says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. The words of the world philosophies, the opinions, where can we go in this world that where we can find pure truth to find real answers to eternal questions? Uh, the words of this world are not answers for our soul. His are. Proverbs 35 says, every word of God proves true. Think of the foolishness of this world. It doesn't take long for us to, to listen to what's coming out of our culture to know that it is foolishness, rules of men, religion of men, the words of this world do not provide wisdom his due. Matthew 7, 24, he says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rocks. Psalm 19, 7 says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple, and that is just scratching the surface of the word of God in our lives and what it offers. We have the words of God. He has given us the words of God and the words of Christ. It is on our shelves at home and it's in our our phones with us. It's recorded in pieces of paper in red books underneath the chairs in front of you. If you need one, you can take one. Take the words of Christ and Paul says, let it dwell in you richly. Dwell means to be at home. I love that. Or to, or to live in. Paul is calling believers to let the word take up residence. Let it be at home in your life. And richly can be translated abundantly. So let the word of Christ be at home in your life in abundance. What does that look like? There's a verse uh, 
that almost word for word, is, it, it mirrors Colossians 3.16. It's Ephesians 5.18. It's almost word for word, but it doesn't say the word of Christ. It says, be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God leads us to the living waters of the Word of God. To let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly is to respond to that leading of the Spirit that is in you, drawing you to that water and drink. To read to ponder, to meditate, to to partner around together. And then by faith, we drink some more. And by faith, we continue to go back to that watering hole again and again and again and then behold the powerful working of the Spirit in your life. If you walk with Jesus, if you're feeling defeated, if you're feeling stagnant, if you're feeling just barely a flicker of flame that, that, that you know is producing very little light, is producing very little warmth, I can tell you, I can, I can testify that as I look back on my walk with Jesus, I can clearly see how the excitement, the joy, the flame of God in me was directly correlated to me just simply saying yes to the Spirit of God living me, leading me to living water. It's like he gives us a bucket, and we're out in the desert. And then he says, look, there's water. And it's the cleanest, freshest, coldest water you've ever tasted. And when we say, okay, and we go and we fill our bucket, that bucket overflows with the waters of his word. It overflows in us in a very powerful, in a very supernatural way in our lives. It overflows in our church. It overflows in the conversations that we have over coffee. It overflows in our grow groups, in our our small groups, in our Bible studies that we have. It overflows, Paul says, in our teaching and our admonishing or correcting of one another in wisdom. See, it's not just pastors or Bible study leaders who are to teach. Abiding in the Spirit and allowing the Word of Christ to find its home in you and have your buckets filled, it comes out. It spills over, right? Just like the vertical piece that we talked about with God, it, it comes out, it overflows horizontally in relationships that we have in our conversations, then it overflows when we have conversations with one another. It overflows with the ideas that we have for one another. It overflows in what we point out to each other and what we point to and what we pray for each other. And he says that our buckets of living water overflow and we sing. We sing. When the word of Christ is dwelling in us richly, it has an effect not just in knowledge of our minds, but it stirs in our hearts. And there is a release of that to God with end with one another. Let the word of Christ, it says, dwell in you richly, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Another way to say it is a variety and a richness of Christian singing. Why sing? You ever think about that? Like why do we get together and we sing together? Peter says this in 1 Peter 2. He says, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices 
acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What are these spiritual sacrifices? Well, the book of Hebrews tells us one of them. In chapter 13, verse 15, through him, that is through Jesus, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. What sweeter fruit is there than when we sing from our heart to God? The peace and the words of Christ, who he is and what he's done, it fills us up and then thankfulness hits. It happens and it it overflows. We bubble over and so we sing. And when we do, we honor the giver and the source of our gratitude. And when we sing, we're also teaching each other. We teach each other. Not only does music connect with our heart and stir our emotions, right? It, it, it gets stuck in our heads too, right? So singing is not only an overflow of the word of Christ dwelling in us richly, but it also reinforces the word of Christ to dwell in us richly as well. The third principle, in the name of Christ. And whatever you do, In word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Everything, whatever you do, everything that you do in word, so everything that you say, everything that you do in deed, every action, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. In the name of the Lord Jesus. If someone was to come through those double doors and make an announcement and say, I come in the name of the governor, we would know exactly what they're talking about, don't we? We know that the, the idea of in the name of carries with it uh, both the idea of representing someone and also being given the power and authority to represent that person. So whatever we do, we represent the name of Jesus so that we can ask ourselves with everything that we do, with everything that we say, with everything that we watch or listen to, we can think before any word or deed, does this represent Jesus well? Or thinking about being given power and authority to represent him. We can be reminded that when we're faced with difficulties and challenges, when relational conflict comes up between us or in our families, or maybe a time for admonishment and correction needs to happen, or, or chances of, of teaching one another happens. We can be encouraged because we've been given the strength and endurance to accomplish whatever he brings us in the power of his name. So that no matter what the conflict is, let our response be in the name of Jesus and be ruled by the peace that he gives so that no matter the conversation, no matter who it is, those words are in the name of Jesus and should be an overflow of the word of Christ dwelling in us richly. And when you, as a church, brothers and sisters, when you get a chance in the next few minutes to stand and to sing, that is in the name of Jesus too, and it is for Jesus, an overflow of the thankfulness that he brings. And it is okay for us to let that out. It is more than okay for us to let that out, that thankfulness. Which brings us to our last point. We're just going to only spend just a few minutes on. See, these three principles, they're built on the foundation of Jesus, right? The peace of Christ, the word of Christ, in the name of Jesus. But they are also supported and reinforced with something very interesting that we've already talked about, something very powerful, and that they are supported with thankfulness. He says, thankful, 
thankfulness, giving thanks, three times in three verses. That's significant. What's the significance? Well, when Paul says, be thankful, in the Greek, the word combines two words, and that is good and grace. It literally means thankful for, uh, thankful for God's good grace or the act of acknowledging that God's grace works well. I love that. And when we see that and when we acknowledge that, thankfulness is, is, is created in us, and thankfulness cannot help but respond it can't help but respond. We know this, right? It can't help it. It wants What it wants to do is thankfulness wants to honor. It wants to express the value of the source of the gratitude, the goodwill, the thought, the effort of holding a door open, the, the love behind the gift. This is why believers being ungrateful is just so nasty. It, it doesn't look at the desire behind the gift, or the sacrifice of the gift, or, or the loving intention of those gifts. It looks at the gift and says, look at those ridiculous arms. It looks at the gift and says, look at how the body's not even shaped right. It looks at the gift and says, the sky looks ridiculous. So much more effort, so much more time could have been given to that. And in selfishness, and in pride, the ungrateful miss the perfect intention. The perfect will, the perfect love, the perfect goodness of God's gifts to us. It may not look perfect, but look to the giver. I mean, the cross, it didn't look perfect to those who witnessed it. Far from it. It was bloody. It was violent. It was an angry mob. There was an injustice being done. But there is no other object that symbolizes and points to the perfect giver of grace and salvation and forgiveness. We don't look at the cross and say, ew, it's bloody. No, we look at the cross and we look to the giver. We look to the undeserved gift that was given to us, the gift that God sacrificed for. And how does that make us feel? Thankful, doesn't it? Makes us feel thankful. We didn't work for it. So it's not like wages that we feel like have, are coming our way. And the Bible says that we're, we're unworthy of it. So it's not like we deserved it. And so we're thankful for it. And that, that thankfulness, it can't help but want to honor the giver. Not by trying to pay him back. Not, not by trying to now meet his needs in some way. No, thankful people can't help but want to honor the giver by doing what? We say thank you. We honor the giver with words of love, with words of praise. We honor the giver with words in the form of psalms and hymns and songs. And we honor the giver with acts of self-denying love. See, gratitude affects our relationships. Forgiveness, love of others, uh, peace of Christ, thankfulness to God, you remove any one of those and the others are unsustainable. You remove thankfulness from any of those, you take thankfulness out of that and love becomes something that you feel like you deserve. Forgiveness becomes something that is, that is common or expected. Peace becomes shallow and very dependent. Seeing Scott, my buddy Scott, in the Kabul airport that day, how did, it, how did it make me feel? 
Well, there's a combination of all kinds of feelings, right? There was joy and, and relief and, and comfort and, and a sense of safety, but it, it all culminated into an intense feeling of what? Of gratitude. I was so thankful. I was where I should be connected with who I belonged to in a foreign land that, that was full of confusion and difficulty and danger. We had each other in that house, and we were so thankful for it. And the thankfulness for what we had poured back into what we had. See, our thankfulness sought to honor the source of our thankfulness. And so we thought about peace and what that looks like for each other. We thought about the words that we would say to each other or not. We thought about the actions that we would do for each other or not. What about us? What about us? As the church here at Gateway, do we recognize what we have in Jesus? His peace, his grace, his sacrifice. Do we recognize the gift of his word? Do we recognize where we're at right now? and what we are a part of. This is the people of God that he has given to us in a land of confusion and difficulty and in danger. And when we recognize these things, gratitude begins uh, to bubble over. It begins to fan the flames of our faith. It gets us excited about getting back into his word tomorrow morning. It compels to let the peace uh, make, uh, uh, to have the peace make determinations in our relationships, in our disputes and conflicts. It moves us in the direction of saying and doing everything in the name of Jesus and desiring to represent him well. So for the last 30 or 40 minutes, uh, we've been talking about the word of Christ. My prayer is that it is dwelling in here richly. If it's dwelling in you like it is in me, and my prayer is that it is, then church, let it out. Let it out. The peace of Christ, let it rule. The word of Christ, let it dwell and let it overflow. Let it overflow when you stand up and and, and you mingle. Let it come out. When you go to grow groups this week or you go to Bible studies or small groups, let it out. When you go home to your family or your friends, then let it out. Around the dinner table tonight, let it out. We come together as a church and we sing. We tell God that we are so thankful for who he is and what he has done. So we sing together. Church, let it out. Let it out. Tell the world around us of what Jesus has done, that we believe it and that it has made a difference in us. It has made a difference in our relationships that we have with one another, and we want to sing about it together. Father, we come before you again, and we say thank you. We owe you everything. We need you for everything. And we didn't deserve any of the things that you did for us. You offered us life eternal, and we didn't work for it. We didn't even deserve it. While we were enemies of you, you loved us and you sacrificed for us. Thank you so much. Jesus, thank you for your love and for your sacrifice and for being obedient to go to the cross for us. 
It changes who we are. It changes what we are a part of. And words cannot express how thankful we are. Words cannot express it. So, God, listen to our heart. As we sing, we pray that you listen to our heart. In Jesus' name.